Hey, good people. This is your NI Dom back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So, hey, I'm up this morning thinking about work, intimacy, and choice. Work, intimacy, and choice is where I'm starting. And I um, am in my first week of summer vacation. And I told you all in the episode called The Abyss, that ending the last four months because of the assignment that they put me on, uh, was inc- it's, it was incredibly intense. It was the most intense, um, politically intense experience I had. I would say the most politically intense experience I had. Maybe emotionally. Um maybe emotionally and I want to I want to come back and entertain that at another point was the last four months incredibly intense because it was emotionally intense or was it because it was politically intense which then created those emotions I'm not 100% sure um and the reason why I'm, I'm like lingering here is because I don't know if politics bothered I don't I don't know if the intensity of politics would really give me the emotions that I had you know what I mean like there's a part of me that says naturally it was emotional it was political which made it emotional for you but the political dimension and like people say the game playing that doesn't um that in it in and of itself doesn't cause the kind of emotions I had but I can unpack that at another time I don't want to do that in my introduction so anyway, it was an, inc- an incredibly intense um, emotional space for the last four months, a, a challenging year. And then on the last three years has been challenging because I put myself back in employment, trying to um, regroup and reestablish myself after my relationship. And so I usually used, um, I've been really wanting to have a summer for uh, planning and and deep introspection. It was one of the benefits, one of the ideas that I had uh, about taking, going back into my work as an educator at the teacher level, because it was going to give me these time periods off, and one being the summer. And up until this summer, it hasn't really worked out that way. There have been a number of things that have really gotten in the way of that. And I think that's important as I move, begin to think about moving forward. Okay. So anywho, um, but I did it. I mean, I, one of the things I was really worried about with, when it got super intense this, in the last four months was that I wasn't going to be able to make it to the end of my contract. If I didn't make it to the end of my contract, I wasn't going to be able to have insurance over the summer. Um, and I wasn't going to, and then I wanted to make sure I had a, a new contract to be offered because I didn't want to use my summer to be look, to look for another job, even though that's still going to happen. But it's one thing to look for a job because you need one. And it's another to look for a job um, because you are pursuing growth. Um, and so here I have my summer, my insurance, and and I have a contract for the fall, um, even though I don't want to return there. I have one, right? It's, it's a good place to be in. So I can really use my summer in the first time in a while to like three years to do some deep diving into planning and introspection. And I cannot get into that space yet until I, I'm still not out of what I call the abyss. So a couple episodes ago, I talked about this abyss of experiencing everything and nothing at the same time, because there was just so much that I had taken in through my perceiving function that I have not had time or the ability, I shouldn't say time, I've not had the readiness um to yet organize. It's like an iceberg. Most of that stuff is still underwater. And as it slowly comes to the surface, I want to talk about it. And I don't, I think I cannot start planning for the summer until that stuff rises. And so I use, I have a metaphor in my brain. Um, this metaphor is, um, like an iceberg and, no, excuse me, not an iceberg. Like it's, it's gross actually, like mucus and, when you have a cold and you can have a lot of mucus built up, I believe, fluids rather, in your lungs, um, it has to come out. I think I have this right. And you could take medicine that will break it up into smaller pieces so that you can cough it out. 
I know this is gross, bear with me so that you can cough it out. And so that's how I feel about the abyss. There's so much there that I need things to help me to break it up. And then as I break it up, and I'm going to mix metaphors, it rises to the surface and then I can, my TE can grab it. And then I can have a big, uh, so what? Because I believe I can't plan for the summer until I have my so what from the last four months, the last year, and the last three years at a deeper level. Like I have a surface understanding of my so what, but I believe deep down there's a, I just believe there's a deeper and deeper so what. And, um, and so that's what I've been hoping to do over this week, this first week off. I said I wasn't going to do a lot of work. I've done a little work and that's okay. Um, but I haven't gone into a work schedule, a, a business schedule for myself for the summer yet. So I'm using this week to kind of relax and see, let that abyss break up a little bit and, and see what the deeper meaning is. So yesterday, something rose to the surface. I don't think this is it. I don't think the abyss is done. But I started thinking about um, work. What is um, what is my relationship to work? I spend so much time thinking about employment work versus entrepreneurship work. But yesterday, I started questioning, what is my relationship to work in general? And then... Um, I've been thinking about intimacy. Um, there's a struggle that I have with intimacy and I'm questioning, I'm rethinking what the struggle is. Um, I have, I've had theories that I've used to explain my struggle with intimacy. Um, but that theory no longer fits where I think I am in terms of my own maturity and my own development. So now I'm rethinking intimacy. Like, do I need to have a new theory of the case? Um, and then choices around work and intimacy. And so I'm, it, it appears, it appears that I'm making choices about work and intimacy. And I'm questioning this morning if it really is a choice, if it's as opposed to being reactive. And I don't know. And I don't really know if that's what this reflection is going to be about because I'm, but it is where I'm starting. It is where I'm starting. Okay. <laughs> All right, you guys, let me do my disclaimers. If you are new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory. The two that I use the most are the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram. Pushing those two systems together, I identify as an INTJ8. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. That has come up recently um, in an interesting way. Anyway, um, I am a trained and practicing uh, social scientist and educator, and that has come up. I've met somebody similar to me, so that's interesting. Um, I hope to talk about that soon. Um, and have, I've been practicing for 30 years, I'm sorry, and half of that time has been in leadership. Politically, I borrow tenets um, from critical race feminism which basically means I have an intellectual sensitivity to race, uh, excuse me, to power as a social, as it shows up in social constructs. Let me start that over. I have an intellectual sensitivity to power as it shows up in social constructs, such as race, class, gender, sexuality, to name a few. This project is unedited and it is unscripted. To know more about it or me, Feel free to check out my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. So, <laughs> um, so anyway, so we're so let me start to tell you um, what I'm thinking about any of this work, intimacy, and choice. So I read an article this morning. I'll start there, even though this part of this reflection started happening. I would say yesterday and, and Wednesday, I met with my heart coach on Wednesday. And with my heart coach, I've been really just telling her my, my concerns about intimacy in terms of what's available for me. And 
me being authentically me. And it just doesn't seem to be a match right now in the world that I'm in. And so this is an ongoing theme that's not new. The difference with me bringing this up with her on Wednesday uh, is that I'm in a better place than I was at when I first brought that theme up. See, when I first brought that theme up of, you know, is the world, am I a match for this world in terms of intimacy? Uh, I was contemplating the end of a 10-year relationship. And um, I'm not contemplating that. (laughs) You know what I mean? That'll be five years. It'll be five years that that relationship has ended, which is um, at the end of this summer. And, uh, well, really the fall, but still, let's just, I think it's safe to say five years. And, um, so I'm not, I'm not struggling with, uh, that person. And I think I was raising this question with my heart coach, even after the relationship ended, because I had to contend with why I was in that relationship in the first place. Um, but I'm not there. Like I'm not, I've, I feel, and this article that I read this morning makes me question that. But up until I read this article this morning, I feel that I'm in a really good space in emotionally in, in, in terms of who I am. Like I have a clear sense of who I am. I, I mean, in internally, I mean, for so long, I could not identify other than work. I only had a work identity. That's it. And thanks to the Myers-Briggs system, and then conjoining that with the Enneagram system, I don't just identify through work anymore. Like, I'm a, and maybe... Maybe, oh, I don't want to say this. This is a little scary, but maybe that's the problem in terms of business because my work identity was, was like fuel for my business. But I'm no longer identifying with work. I'm identifying in what I'm saying is being human and whole. And part of my human and wholeness is capturing who I am through these two personality systems as an INTJ and an eight. Now I, we're not gonna, we're not gonna rehash that as an identity, right? We understand that people in the world, in the typology world, they don't like you talking about identity, um, these systems giving you your quote unquote identity. And I get it, right? But I also have come to accept, and I talked about this in, like at least two other episodes um, around identity um, is that when some of us have been raised to have harmful identities, we need something to counter that. Well, the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram um, or just personality theory in general really helped me, has really helped me to walk away from the identities that I inherited from the world really gave me an opportunity to take ownership of our, my own identity. And, and so I remember once reading that people can give you a label, but they cannot give you an identity. And for so long, I embraced that, right? So long that makes sense. You can tell me who you think I am, but only I can control my identity. And I agree with that at 80%, maybe 75%. Because that argument does not consider the socialization process. Identity also comes from the socialization process. The socialization process is how we are taught to see the world, to engage in the world, and how we're taught to see ourselves So unfortunately, identity can come through this socialization process 
this teaching that we get from the outer world. And then we carry that as though it is our truth because we never knew that we had a choice. We didn't know we had a choice to identify. Okay. As we, as we best see, as we need to. Okay. So once you learn that, and I don't even know if that would be what would, I don't know if that choice or learning about that choice. I'm not sure if that would come first because I think what has to happen before you realize you have a choice, you have to realize, you have to accept that there's another possibility. You have to confront another identity. And then when you confront the other identity, then you deal with this tension of, am I this or am I that? And then you need to learn that you have a choice. You can make the choice. Go, um, no, I'm not. I'm not what I was raised to believe. I am this. Or you say, yeah, this other thing out here, that's cool. But I really do identify with how I was raised. I'm kind of going through that with Christianity, by the way. And it's like a choosing of, a, you know, I've been talking about spirituality, but it's a choosing of the faith. And people often say, well, you choose your, you know, you like when you get baptized, when you can, you're Catholic, you get baptized as a baby, but later you get confirmed. And that confirmation process is about choosing the faith. In the Protestant church, you don't get baptized as a baby. You can get dedicated to God. But you get baptized once you can make, you make the choice. Well, my argument is a lot of people think that they're choosing their religion that they were born into. And you can't choose that until you're really confronted with the other option, with the other options. And that is a different conversation. Like, what does it mean to really be confronted? And I, that's right. But whatever that means for you, I'm saying, we make we we arbitrarily say we're making a choice because but, but we really haven't confronted an alternative so getting back to identity these personality systems have given me an an alternate like a a choice oh oh i can look at myself through this lens oh this is a different way this is a different theory of the case I like saying that, by the way. I feel like I've been saying it a lot this week. What's the theory of the case? Because I'm learning. I'm wondering this week. I'm wondering that I have this week is my social science background, my background with trauma. I think those together. And maybe because I'm an eight, (laughs) type eight. But those together make make me give a singular approach to the theory of the case. Like if something will come up and I'll have, I'll make a theory of the case and well, most of the time it's right. But at this week I've been questioning, is it always right? And really trying to challenge myself to have multiple theories. I've talked about this. Um, I've talked about this before. I think I did an episode, the theory of the self, which wasn't as good as it could have been. But nonetheless, cause I mean, I get into the theory of the self at the end and the, all the way up until that is a bunch of mumbo jumbo stuff. But anyway, that's the nature of this project. Sometimes I land on a gold mine and sometimes it's just gibberish. <laughs> but anyway, um, but I've been really challenged myself this week to say, is there more than one theory to case? You're good as an NI Dom. You're good. I'm good at it. I'm, I'm able to see the world in some unique ways far faster than other people can see it. That's my gift. I believe it's one of them, but it's like, that's my dominant function. But I have to say, intersecting that with um, the Enneagram 8 in me, I do think it's fair to question if if the, if the there are multiple theories that I can give to a, a given situation. I was thinking random, I'm a little choppy right now because I'm bouncing around some, a lot of, a lot of little randomness from the abyss is starting to pop. So just bear with me as I bounce, you guys. This morning, I had the um, a, a, a reflection, quickly, a fleeting thought about INTJ 5s. I have so, so grown to appreciate understanding myself as an INTJ 8, pushing those two systems together. It's a level of understanding about the self that exceeds saying INTJ. 
because I realize I've made INTJ-based decisions. And they really, they didn't serve me in the law. They didn't really serve me in terms of fully growing and blossoming. There's a flavor to me that gets lost when I do not consider the eight part of my personality. And then having to understand how that eight aligns with the INTJ. It is, it is a beautiful thing. I recent, I realized, um, when I first started this project, I talked about the context of INTJ 8. I haven't listened to that. That was two years ago almost. Yeah, two years ago. I'm about to have an anniversary to this project. I should do an anniversary episode. <laughs> okay. I just realized that a two-year anniversary. Hot diggity dog. Anyway, so I haven't gone back to listen to that episode. But it was June of 2020. And then sometime last year, I did an episode called INTJ8. I haven't gone back to listen to that either, but I'm, I'm almost certain that what I have to say today about the INTJ8 was not best captured in those earlier episodes because I was still trying to make sense of it. And so anyway, um, there's a beautiful thing in putting those together, INTJ8. And the fleeting thought that I had this morning was um, about the INTJ5. And I believe my theory is that you have a lot of um, uh, content generators around INTJ-ness in, in, on YouTube, at least. And I believe most of those people are INTJ-5s. When I look at panels where they bring multiple INTJs together, and I love it when the facilitator says, can you bring in your, do you know your Enneagram? Can you bring it to, bring it to the table? Most of those people say, I'm an I a five, I'm an INTJ five. And I think I've seen a couple of times when they say an INTJ one. I feel like there's one other option. I, f I think there was another one, maybe an INTJ three, which is, the, I don't think, anyway, it's, there's another one I, that I did hear on a panel, but it's not common. You usually hear five. You usually hear five. My argument is that most content generators are INTJ fives about INTJs. Excuse me. Most INTJ content generators are out, uh, about INTJ-ness are INTJ fives. But that's just my own moving about in a world. Like there's nothing in depth. There's no in-depth study of that for me to even interrogate my own thinking. But, um, but if you do, I have seen INTJ once at any rate, <laughs> at any rate, um, I, I really think that the, that Enneagram shows us our deeper, you know, our deepest fears and how we function defensively in the world because of those deep fears. We function defensively. Now we can mature and evolve, but underneath in our core shadow self is always going to be a defensive nature because of that deep fear that we all have. It's a, to me, it's an ingenious system. I mean, excuse me, it's a genius, not ingenious. It's a genius. Is it ingenious or genius? Anyway, it's a smart system. It's smart. And I just think I laugh at myself. For the few years, once I was introduced to it and I rejected the Enneagram, I rejected it for several years. And then a couple of years ago, I went back and I was like, I'm ready for it. And you've got to be ready for it because it's going to show you all kinds of uglies. I did some episodes on that in the beginning of this project where I'm like, you got to face those uglies because they are there. They are there. So while my project has evolved and matured, I hate to refer people back to those episodes the first the first year. <laughs> Um, but there were some, there were some decent reflections if you're looking for some of those nuggets and one nugget is on the uglies. Anyway, I said all of that in terms of, um, me making choices in my life to, um, I made INTJ choices, choices that were rational and forward motion. What I know about myself as an eight like once I understood myself through the INTJ lens, 
I stopped trying to fix something that wasn't broken in the first place. I don't want to go down that path. That's not what I want to do in this reflection. I've talked about that before. And that makes me a little, I feel a little emotion when I say that. So maybe I do need to come back and revisit it. Because why is that? There's a little bit of an emotion stirring in me when I said that. That when I came to see myself through an INTJ lens, I stopped trying to fix what wasn't broken. But because I had inherited an identity from the world, I believed I was broken. And the INTJ framework showed me the same the same phenomenon or phenomena existing within me just gave me a different theory of the case. Just gave me the, the, a different theory of the case. And so um, that was a beautiful thing. But I think that there's another layer to me that has to be, to be embraced. And I think in the last two years, that's what I've been contending with, the eight part of me. Now, I will be honest with you. There was a moment when I saw the eight part of me so strong that it scared me as a rational person. Like, how am I? There's a, uh, there are conditions that consume me, will take over. And that's, I struggle with that as a rational thinker because I've always said, mind over matter. Mind over matter. And I can do that. I can function as mind over matter. That's, that's where the whole idea of math, good, that's not good math. Good math is when it makes sense. And I'm going to do it because it makes sense. That's the INTJ. It makes sense. It's rational. It's forward motion. It's insightful. Yes. Good. Got it. But the eight me says, look at you as a whole person, as a human, with a, a, a battery of complex thought and emotions. The eight part of me demands that I consider the emotional side of me. I can get away with not considering the emotional side of me and be quite okay with the Myers-Briggs as an INTJ. Go, yeah, feeling is tertiary. Yes, it gets a little awkward. <laughs> I don't know why they call it baby, 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 F-I. <sighs> Whatever. Whatever. Mm-mm. I met a mature INTJ this year. I just found out she's an INTJ. And... <sighs> Yes. <laughs> so anyway, it doesn't have to be baby if I don't have to function like that. Tertiary, all the same. Yes. But there's so much that we need to know. And anyway, as a whole person. And so the Enneagram has just really helped me to see myself as not just rational, but I have an emotional, I have an, an emotional orientation. And the danger when you And I've said this before too. Um, The danger when you consider yourself as rational, and you are, if you're, I'm not saying considering yourself as rational, you're irrational, but you're, you are a rational person. If you are an NT, you're a rational person. I don't think that that, I don't know if that's the only, only those only rationals in terms of temperaments, but let's just say, I know INTJs are rationals. Okay. Let's just stay there. That doesn't mean you don't have emotions. It just means that you're making decisions through the rational side. And that's great on the surface. But when you realize that those emotions serve a function, those emotions are data points, and they serve a function, and they are a logical part of who you are as a whole being, you can't exist as a human without those emotions. And if you are walking around in the world saying, I'm, I'm rational and I don't need emotions, something, you better get you some, you better get you some help. <laughs> and I'm laughing because I had to go through that. Because whether you, whether you acknowledge those emotions or not, they are there. And so that's kind of what I had to continue with as I started studying the eight side of me. Once I started understanding those emotions. And putting myself in a in difficult situation because I was purposely putting myself in spaces that would disregard those emotions. 
because I'm mind over matter. And what I, my breakthrough that I had over the past month, I can't remember what episode it was, but I say, that's good math. When I was thinking about work, that's good math. But baby, that ain't good math on paper. Excuse me, that's, damn it, I just messed that up. Trying to be all cool. <laughs> Let me try to say that again with the coolness, yeah. <laughs> Whew, I'm going to start over. <laughs> that's good math. But it ain't good math on paper. <laughs> that's what I meant to say. It's not good math on paper. Damn it, I just did it again. What is wrong with me this week? Okay, I'm stop being cool because obviously that doesn't work. That's good math. But it's only good math on paper. That's what I meant to say. I think I wanted to say the word ain't. It is only good math on paper. And good math on paper ain't enough. Okay, there I go. I still was able to use the word ain't. It's good math. But it's only good math on paper. And that just ain't enough. It's just not enough. And I can... And that realization comes through the eight part of me period because through the intj side of me i still wrestle with i can do this to set because that makes sense makes sense on so many levels because it really is good math and then the eight comes in and says that's just good math on paper and it's not enough and that emotional part of me that is there, whether I want to acknowledge it or not, it's going to have an impact. So if I'm truly functioning as an INTJ, as a strategist, considering all data points, then I have to respect the emotional side of me. So that was an, a rabbit hole. <laughs> but I think that comes from me trying to talk about identity and accepting who I am and and how this typology system really has helped me. And so for when we talk about not embracing um, these type systems as part of our identity, I think we're we're missing out. Now, you never hear me just say, I'm an INTJ8 and that's all of me. No, I give you a list of things. I'm an INTJ, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, right? Because all of that together. And I recently discovered a framework and I've, I am going to mention it to you now. Um that is used to help people understand relationships because I've been thinking about intimacy. And so my new friend um, gave me this framework and it's from the social sciences. I'm not familiar with it. So that's exciting to meet somebody. I meet educators all the time. I don't meet social scientists. So I, and then I believe he is a social scientist and an educator and he comes from trauma. Uh, that's awesome but he's he's a jewish he's a white jewish dude he's a jewish white man and that's fascinating because i'm a christian black woman a black christian woman and i don't identify i don't identify it through my faith because recently up until recently i really wasn't embracing christianity really I mean, I accepted it, but I wasn't embracing it. And something has been happening since I've been in this spiritual bubble, like, huh, huh. You know, especially when I talked about NI spirituality versus SI spirituality and like, huh, well, if NI spirituality, spirituality, let me, through this lens of NI, introverted intuitive spirituality, now let me revisit Christianity. And what, what can I see there? And so there's some... Potentially, I haven't really unpacked that, so I can't. But anyway, let me get back to the framework that my new friend, that we have a lot in common, yet we have these differences. It's just made for a very, we've been having some really robust conversations. Oh my gosh, these conversations have been delicious. <laughs> They've just been yummy. But anyway, he gave me this framework about it for it. Because um, we were talking about what do we need in friends? Like we talked about what do you need in a lover? What do you need in friends? Really... They really are the same because they're both about intimacy. And so, um, can't think of the name of the framework, but I'm going to give it to you. He said, I think I have this right. I haven't, I have not read it yet. It's just going to happen. 
but I just got the framework yesterday from him. There's a part of us, there are things that, okay, here it is. There are things we know about ourselves that no one else knows. So I'm going to give you a quadrant. So in one box, there are things that we know about ourselves that no one else knows. Then there, in another box, there are things that we know about ourselves that other people know. In another box, there are things that other people know about us that we don't know about ourselves. I'm intrigued by that. The, the idea that somebody can know something about me that I don't know. And what he said, and this is what I've always believed, sometimes when he talks, I feel like he's like, yo, we must come from the same spiritual bubble or same soul as we before we traveled into the human body because he says things. I'm like, oh my God, I think that all the time. Or I'll say things and he'll say, yeah. I said that. I say that too. I've never said it to anyone else, but you just said it. So what he said, um, and I agree with this sentiment, is that this is one of the reasons why when people challenge me or they confront me, um, they criticize me, they accuse me, um, I'm, I usually sit in it. I'm curious about it. I usually am more curious than I am offended or curious. I have a desire to hear more. There's a desire when I am confronted with an accusation about me or my person. I'm 95%, but let me just be fair. Let's say 85. I really believe 90% of the time I'm more curious. I become more curious and defensive because I'm like, ooh, well, what do you see? So even though I'm new to this framework, I think I have I, I have a, a value system there that there think people can know things about you that you don't know about yourself. And then the last box is um, the last box is uh, what is it? It is oh, there are things about you that neither you know or other people don't know. Other people don't know about you, and you don't know it about yourself yet. But it is, but it's a part of you. And my goodness, that's kind of like, whoa, what do you do with that? Um, so anyway, <laughs> why did I tell you about that framework? So I've been thinking about that framework in terms of, um, okay, I was introduced to that framework as we think about friendship, but it makes me think about identity. <clears throat> and so anyway, I've been spending a lot of time talking about identity here in this reflection, haven't I? Um, Maybe I don't know. I don't know. Those were things that were in the abyss that needed to come up. Um, but I'd love to try to salvage some of this around work, intimacy, and choice. I think the connection, um, I wonder rather, let me say it this way. I wonder if the connection is one of the things. So let me tell you about this article. Okay, let me tell you this article that I read this morning. The article that I read this morning was called was about irrelationships. Yep, that's what I said. Ear relationships. So you take the word relationship and you put the two letters I-R in front of it. Ear relationships. Never heard of that before. And so the um, it's when you choose to give your life to work, to be married to your job, as as a way of preventing you from doing relationships in the in the world. And the argument is that the job can give you a steady stream of contact with people. And those of us who find the human experience to be not safe, this is what I was talking about with my guy friend, um, a new guy friend. Um, that I find the human experience to be beautiful. It's complex and it's beautiful. And that's what I do in my work with empowerment. I'm an advocate for that. I fight for people to have their humanity. I've said this in this project several times before. But then when it's time to have intimacy with my human self, with another human, it's not safe. Now, I'm just coming to terms with that. 
I've just started putting language to that in the last week or two. Maybe I have said it, but it's, let me say it this way. It is crystallized. And for so long, I felt it wasn't safe because of something in me. I got to work on this. I got to work on this. I got to work on this. And now as I'm moving into this, as I have been in this spiritual bubble, I'm like, yeah, it is because of values that I hold. And I don't feel other humans hold the values. So I wonder, and I'm thinking this just now, in this moment, this question is coming to me. Is it because people are not safe in their humanness because they're irrational? Because that would be me understanding, that would be me trying to explore intimacy through the INTJ lens. People are irrational. They're inconsistent. And that has been a theory that's worked for me. You're just, humans are too messy. They're too inconsistent. Yes. But when I factor in that eight part of me and I think about my values, about the social world and being human in it, I wonder if that's the problem that I'm having with other humans. And then it makes me go to the conversation I've been having with my heart coach over the past six years about, I just find the world to be, other people to be unsafe. It's just the world, the world that I'm in. Sorry, that's an, when I turn off my phone, the internet to get rid of sounds, yay, that helps. But then I have, um, indicators on my phone that it doesn't disable and I'm not going to go and disable all of those indicators. I'm pretty sure there's probably a way to indicate and then disable all of the indicators at once, but I don't know that yet. I've, it takes me years to learn my new phone because I don't invest in learning it. As I do, I spend all of my learning time learning theory. <laughs> I'm not interested in learning a phone. Um, but anyway, so I apologize for that sound. Um, where was I at before I got that notification? Darn it. I think I was saying something about just me understanding people through these values that I have. And I think when I bring up spirituality, because I do have a belief system about what is good, right, and just. And I pause because, you know, I don't know if you caught the pause, but I paused a little bit because, you know, that sounds a little bit like type one. And there are ways that type eight and type one, they overlap. I might go get the book and share that with you. That's I, I might need to revisit that, but I'm afraid of, I'm, I want to finish this point. So let me finish this point first to see if it's even relevant to go get the book. Um, and so I, I do have these deep beliefs and how I want to live my life and how I want to interact with others. And I don't find people who hold those values. And so then what do I do? I then go to rational thinking. All right, you don't hold those. Now, you guys, I'm I'm working this out in real time. I have never said this to myself before, at least not consciously. Maybe this existed in the, the abyss. But this is something that's breaking through for me right now. You know, you don't hold the values that I hold. Okay. I'm still going to interact interact with you because I like you as a person. So now I'm going to find this way that I like you. And I'm going to lock you into that. That the way that I like you. Or not even the way that I like you. The way that I understand you. Even the parts that I don't like. I got you there. And then you don't you don't always act out of that framing that I put you in. So now I say you're irrational. Now I'm going to call you irrational. Because you're, and I'm saying you're inconsistent. When as humans, that's who we are. And I wonder if that inconsistency has more to do with the values that that person is not occupying. That's fascinating. I'm going to chew on that. So when I was talking to my guy friend yesterday, what he said was that, and he associated with his male, white male privilege. 
He said, oh, I actually like dealing with people's messiness, their inconsistency, but it doesn't hurt me because I'm, 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 I'm safe. My privilege keeps me safe. Now, you know, he's a social scientist, right? So some of you, I know some white Americans or don't like this idea of privilege, right? So I don't even know how you've been listening to me this whole time, if that offends you. All right, I don't talk about it, but privilege is a thing. And it's not just about racial privilege, gender, religion, because he talks about what it's like to be Jewish in a world, in a country that's predominantly follows Christian sentiments. And I love hearing about that from him as well. But in his, in his maleness, in his whiteness, there's privilege that he says keeps him from being harmed when other people are irrational. And so instead of him seeing people's irrational nature as a potential threat, he sees it as, oh, this gives me an opportunity to uh, have some friction and I get to learn about myself through friction. But for me as a black woman, I live in friction. I don't need to run into friction. I don't need to go seek friction, knock on the door to friction. Friction is part of my existence. So I've had the opportunities he's seeking. I live it. So I'm actually looking for something different when I'm interacting with people. That's this is that's interesting. I, I can't wait to share with him this this thought I had. So I just I woke up this morning just thinking um, about the eight me in terms of work and they ate me in terms of relationships because I think that's going to end in the spiritual part of me that says I don't know how to explain this. Like I already felt a sense of settledness with the INTJ8 framing but there's something about this spiritual bubble that I'm in that makes it more divine like I already said that, you know, God made me as an INTJ8. But for whatever reason in the last week, it just it's just more divine for me now. It is I don't know, I want to say holy. It is holy. It's my holiness. Oh my god, I'm gonna cry. Because holiness <laughs> If you're new to me, if you're new to this project and you hear me bouncing around, I am in a bubble. You may not know it. I'm in a bubble, but it definitely sounds like I'm just bouncing all over the place. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, so when I went through my phase of fundamentalist uh, faith and, you know, woman can't wear pants, she can't wear makeup, can't swear, you can't drink. It was all about being holy. You can't go to the club. You can't even play games. Can't play any board games. You can't be in a room with a man by yourself. Oh my God, I went through I can't believe I went through that. I cannot believe it, but I did. But that was about being holy. And I just recently was reading about power and faith, because you guys know that power is my jam. That most of holiness configurations are centered on legislating womanhood. And, the, and womanness, that a lot of what we say is holy is about keeping women pure for men, but that's separate. But in this moment that I'm having, it's holy. Holiness for me to lean into my INTJ eightness, to lean into it and hold it in a in regard to all my choices. I don't fully know what that's going to mean when I think about work, intimacy, and choice other than choosing to be holy. Choosing to be all of me. So in that article, and I'm going to close here, I think. I'm going to try. When I read that article this morning that says that people were going to work to avoid intimacy So they have they try to have intimacy with work. 
there was a lot of that that I was I had to pause and go, okay, is that what you're doing? Except I don't choose to give myself my altar work anymore. But I do think that that's inhibiting me in my business. Now, if I'm, you know, but I am, but it's okay. I got a plan. I'm, I'm been thinking about a plan for this year. I really, really want to be in a better place next summer. I, um, I can see it. I can, I see the plan coming together, the strategy rather. I can see it. Um, I think I'm waiting to be emotionally tied to that strategy. Um, and so I'm not yet emotionally tied to it, but I don't know if it's just because I'm dealing with emotional fatigue based on the last four months in the last three years. So I'm going to give myself time before I really evaluate this strategy that I think I have. So I'm in a better place next year. And now I'm saying it out loud and right. I have you guys to hold me accountable. And I had somebody who sent me a, some, I guess some of you might be worried about me as I talk about my me being able to have my large roll of toilet paper and all of that. And I love that my listeners are listening to me for real. <laughs> I don't want you worrying about me, but it makes me feel like, okay, that's good. Because <laughs> if you know something I don't know, I want you to share that with me. So, um, you know, some people have sent me some strategies of like, okay, this is what you can do. And I, and I have entertained it. And I am... Um, it hasn't yet made its way into the strategy that I have, but it has opened me up to consider strategy to just, just be more open to, um, to me being a strategist because unfortunately I'm in a job that in order to be successful, I have to cut off that part of me. Do you know how insane that is? No, that's not an option. Anyway, I'm not even going to talk about that right now. Um, so I think this article um, made me think about, am I am I married to my work? In the past, I really believe I was married to my work um, because it was my calling. But I do agree that this uh, with this article that it was a way of avoiding what I couldn't make sense of the irrational nature of people who weren't people who weren't holding my values. What do you do with that? When you can't find people in your world to that hold your values. Do I sound like an INFP? That's the FI in me. But I never, never, no, that's not an INFP because I think an INFP would be more in touch with that. I'm 51 years old and getting it now. I'm just in touch with, I'm just getting in touch with that baby FI was sitting there all along with these values and trying to rationalize my way through the world and park those values or trying to control those values and the Enneagram 8 says no baby <laughs> no no Mm-mm. me coming to understand that no it's not healthy it's not whole it's not holy it's not holy so so I, th- I thought the article was a good read this idea of irrelationships I don't think I'm doing that now though I don't think I don't think that I'm using work to stop myself from having relationships however one thing I didn't like about the article is that it doesn't account for people who really enjoy working, right? Because as an NT, I want, I do enjoy things that make sense <laughs> and work provides that. So I, I feel like the article is a little bit slanted. It doesn't account for people who just genuinely enjoy uh Rational condition of logical structures, uh, not structures to maintain themselves, but so because this is the difference between me being my 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 appreciation for structures is not is different for 
an SI. An SI person might like structure because of uh, what it maintains. I like structure because of what it locks down, what it, what it secures. So then I can then go off into the imagine, into my imagination, into the possibilities. So it, I like structures as an anchor, not as preser, not as preser, preservation, not for preservation. So anyway, so I don't think the article really respected that part of me. However, I do think the article is good all the same because it's helped me to really think about what is my blockage with people. And I think this is the part, and I am going to close here. I think this is the part where I'm struggling with work. And I'm not just, I'm not talking about work employment. I'm actually talking work business now. Because the only thing that is in the way now with work business is the emotional part. I don't have it. I don't have the emotional like, oh. Part of it is the fatigue. Yes. But I think the other part of it is that I don't want to just be all work anymore. I want to have intimacy outside of work. I don't know how to do it because everybody I meet, (laughs) and I shouldn't say everybody I meet because I'm doing better at um, filtering out people. I'm doing better at being my own gatekeeper. So the young lady I picked up at the airport the other day, I don't know if I told you guys that. I may have told you. I picked her up from the airport on Wednesday. And when did I do my reflection? I think I did my reflection Wednesday morning. Maybe I didn't tell you about her. I have to tell you about that another time. But nope. Nope. I feel like I told you guys already. But nope, 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 nope. Nope. Mm-mm. <laughs> that's all I can say is nope. And that's a no that would have been a, would have been me. I would have gone in there because of some things that I do like. I would have gone in there and tried to create a structure for that relationship and then spent all this energy trying to get her to fit into that structure or try to get me to adjust. And I'm saying no, just no. And I mean that. That's on everything. Period. <laughs> I love when a kid say that. Period. I know I told you guys that before. So so I think that that is what's holding me back emotionally um, from work. Business work, not employment work. So as I say work moving forward, especially over the summer, know that I'm talking about that. Or hopefully I'll be consistently talking about business. But I'm missing the emotional piece right now. And um, I think some of it is the fatigue, but I think some of it is the readiness to be more than just work. And I want this other part of my life that I haven't been able to figure out. And this, because I I don't like irrational intimacy, but what I'm going to take from this reflection that it's not about irrational behaviors, it's about values. I don't know. I don't know because I've never really, really looked at people as through the lens of values. Because I've ne- even as I say that now, I find myself struggling with, am I really going to tell somebody, no, I can't connect with you because you don't share my values? Like I, I've, I don't know. Don't know. Don't know. Don't know. Don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So we'll see. This is new. This is like a brand new breakthrough. I got to try it on you guys. It's like I looked at a dress at the store. I'm going to buy it because it makes sense. (laughs) It looks good. Now we're going to see what happens when I bring that dress home. So we're going to play with it, okay? You guys be prepared for me to entertain that. But this, as I close here, I'm going to go over an hour. Um, I've been doing that unapologetic, not even apologizing, but I'm, I don't want to live in over an hour. I don't. 
But I think, because I think, wonder when I'm slowing down on my number of reflections, I find myself bringing up a lot of, sharing a lot. I still share with you all the same. So I don't know how to explain that. I'm not going to do that now. Maybe I'll do that in my anniversary episodes, episode. But um, I like the idea of being holy. Being whole and holy. And that transcends work, play, and love, and rest. Work, play, love, and rest. Being whole and holy should run through all of that. Those of us with a little more privilege might be able to cycle through all of that your holiness more, maybe, I don't know. Some of us with less privilege, we might have to struggle, but I feel that it's ours all the same. At least it's one, something to contend with. So where I started this reflection on work, intimacy, and choice, and choosing to be, choosing to be INTJ8, in all of me, is my holiness. It's my holy. What is yours? Okay, so if this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. If this conversation about INTJ or being rational and eight, and I don't even think I went into the substance of the eight. Right, as much as I did the INTJ, I just said that the eight brings something different. Really, that eight is about not being um, hurt, harmed, um, not or as it relates to power. Um, I think that's the short end of it. And um, but I also talked about using the Enneagram to explore the defensive side of you, the the fearful side of you and see how that also impacts you a person and then embrace all of it one of the things I talked about um, in my last episode I believe is that in the Jewish faith I'm learning that the that humans have a body and they have a godly soul and they have an animal soul so the godly soul is inside of the animal soul and that animal soul is inside of the body and what's, what I love about that, that's different from my Christian faith. My Christian faith says I try to clean, cleanse that animal side of me. And as I'm understanding in the Jewish faith, like this is the part of you. This is what makes you human. Embrace it. I don't think that we can get rid of our uglies. That dark side of us, that fear, who we are as humans. But knowing it means we don't have to be controlled by it. But I'm I, I'm saying that there's something that it still offers us something that we need in this body, in this reality, if you will. Yeah. So <laughs> if that conversation about being human and being whole and holy and different parts of you as relating to personality systems and the identity work we talked about. If any of this connects to a conversation that you've had in the world, please share this link with those participants. We also talked about intimacy. Anyway, if my moving about in this reflection has caused some randomness in you, I would love to hear that. You can find me on my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. I get people who are sharing things with me. I'm not getting people who, sh- I usually get people who share the assignments with me. The assignments I give to you that's just for you. I've had a couple of people who said, oh, this is, I did the assignment. This is what I came up with for me. And that's great. I mean, that's, if you want to share it, that's fine. But I, I can't help but to wonder if as I'm moving about unlocking doors in my mind, does it unlock things in, as I'm talking, do you have doors opening up in your mind 
like randomness. I'd love, I really would love to hear that. And I, I'm not really getting people yet sharing their randomness with me. I don't know why, but I'm going to keep asking for it. Okay. But if you are going to share any of that with me, you can find me on my website at yournidom.wordpress.com, Twitter, yournidom1, Facebook, or YouTube, yournidom. Let me give you your assignment. Came to me right away. I pushed the pause button and it came to me right away. It's a (laughs) two-parter. The first part is, number one, or the, the, what does it mean for you to be holy? What does it mean to be holy? H-O-L-Y. I'm also, right? H-O-L-Y. What does that mean to you? And even if you aren't religious, still try to entertain that. I especially would love to hear what, I mean, excuse me, I can't ask that. But I'd be especially curious about your identity or your ideas of holiness if you're not religious. I'm even more intrigued by that. But what is your conception of holy and holiness? And part two is factor in a part of your identity that you had to choose for yourself. I want to tell you to factor in your your Myers-Briggs and your um, Enneagram, but I, I don't want to restrict you there. Factor, but what I do want you to think about is the socialization process. Think about the you that was socialized, the you that you embraced. Mm-mm. The socialized you that you embraced for so long, that, but didn't feel completely you, but you embraced it because you were socialized to believe this was you. Until you confronted another version of you. How do you factor in that? How does that alternate you, how does that you factor into your construction of holiness? How does the, here's, here it is. How does the unsocialized you factor into holiness? Now, some of you may want to do pushback because I'm pushing back right now. Like I believe I do believe INTJ 8-ness is still an impact. It is still part of the, the socialized world. I do think so. Ultimately. But I think it's connected to something that isn't socialized. So we're going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to embrace INTJ 8-ness as being the most connected to my unsocialized self. The most. Although I do acknowledge that there is some socialization there. So I don't care how you name it or frame it, package it, but how does the unsocialized you factor into your definition of holy? I guess another question I should ask you, not just what is your construction of holiness, what is your appetite for it? Do you even want to be holy? I should have started, I should have started there, shouldn't I? What is your construction of holiness? Do you want to be holy? And then number three, if you do want to be holy, how do you factor in the unsocialized you into that construction to be holy? That is it, you guys. It, that's what I have for you today. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go and do my walk. Um, um, and anyway... It has been, I wanted to say something else, but I'm going to save that for later. It has been a pleasure hanging out with you. Until I come back, be well. Bye.